So hello everyone and welcome to Nikki Lyle Creative Presents with Industry Leaders, where today I'm joined by Ben Davies. So Ben is co-founder of The Neighbourhood and non-exec director of Hayes Davidson and he's also an industry mentor for creative businesses. Welcome Ben, thank you so much thank for joining us today. Pleasure. And uh, yeah, hello everybody. Uh, thanks for inviting me, Nikki. Um, yeah, welcome to my spare room. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just really keen to uh, answer questions as well today. I know we'll just have a, a bit of a chat, but um, uh, you know, if there's anything that I don't get to, just give me a shout afterwards. You can find me on LinkedIn, those sorts of places, but LinkedIn's probably the easiest. Um, yeah. Well, that's great to know. That's a place people can reach out to you as well. Um, so what, how we're going to structure this so everybody knows is I've got a series of questions for Ben. We've also got a Q&A tab at the bottom of the screen. So feel free to ask questions throughout the session and we will allow some time at the end where we'll get to those and answer as many as we can for you. And we'll aim to um, wrap the session up in about an hour or so. So, all right, here we go. Let's dive in, shall we? Um, yes. So what about visualisation first appealed to you, Ben? Because I know you initially um, went to university to study to become an architect, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think I have to go back a bit further to answer this question, actually, which is just to like my childhood. You know, I, I grew up with two older sisters. Uh, yeah. One was um, an artist. Uh, one was an engineer. So, you know, sort of, kind of on, on the creative and science end of the spectrum, if you like. And I, I guess I sort of grew up in in that environment saw those two things and charted a course straight down the middle um so i was really into kind of design and graphics but also getting things done and when, when i was uh, growing up those just new worlds opening up in terms of technology and creation i remember being absolutely um obsessed by kind of tv idents and that sort of stuff you know animation um and just that idea that you could create any worlds that you wanted to create yourself um, um, but then I'd sort of get a bit serious, I suppose, and try and choose a career. People tell you you need a career. Um, and I took a bit of advice, really. Um, and architecture just came up uh, and, uh, to a degree of being like uh, the ultimate art form, I suppose. You know, it's, uh, um, and yeah, um, did the whole course at university, kind of seven years altogether. And then at the end sort of came out and said, I don't want to be an architect. <laughs> at least uh, not in the traditional sense anyway. Um, yeah, a lot of people I knew were um, saying the world was quite a different place when you were qualified. And I, I guess I didn't want that just yet. Um, so I, I got really into sort of CGI and visualization during that little journey. It was all taking shape. And I liked the appeal of doing projects that pretty much you could do in an afternoon or in a few weeks rather than a few years. Architecture is like a slow, a slow business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, 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 was, that was probably it really, my, my short attention span. Um, uh yeah got me into architecture and then back out of it again <laughs> yeah that that happens a lot actually where um people start training to become architects and then fall into the arc fizz For well sure. um so did you start out in 2000 in the industry something like that yeah mid 90s i think you know um i don't even know if it was um you could call it an industry then there was probably i guess two, three, four kind of what you might call serious companies doing uh, what is now known as ArcViz uh, one way, one way or, or another. So yeah, I, I, as I was doing that seven years at uni, I, I got a job at um, Hayes Davidson in London, which is 
probably the, the main trailblazer, if you like, of the industry, uh, founding fathers, you know, someone called them recently. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of got diverted into that on, on route. <laughs> but it was very small, as I say, wouldn't really call it an industry. It was a bit, bit more like a cult, I think, at that moment. Yeah, I, I always imagine what, what was the industry like back then compared to now? Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would say um, immature, you know, and uh, non-existent, like I say, just kind of two or three companies, each spotting an opportunity and leading with passion and just creating stuff mm. and spotting an opportunity. Um, and that's sort of how it, how it emerged. Um, yeah. Um, and the, the, the computing technology was only really starting to come to the fore to allow you to do that in technological ways rather than you know, watercolours would always be the, the go-to art form before that. So, yeah. And yeah. um, what software were you using back then in the early days? Um, well, software-wise, it's pretty similar, actually, in a lot of ways. Not uh, everything's changed, but nothing's changed. It was uh, uh, 3D Studio. I think they'd just come out with uh, 3D Studio Max, this shiny new thing at that point, um, using AutoCAD a lot because it's just more accurate, and Photoshop, you know, that was, that was it really, those, the, 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 those three uh, pieces of, of software. Um, so in, like I say, a, lot, a lot's changed, but nothing's changed. <laughs> yeah, that, that is very interesting actually. Um, so it was 3DS Max came out, and as you said, not much has really changed over the years so okay. yeah i mean i guess the you know there is obviously it has a lot has changed but um you know the there was it's as much feels like it's a much more technical can be a lot more technical pursuit now you know uh the technology as i say didn't really exist then you had to just um paint it <laughs> you know you could get so far with say a, a render um which would by modern standards look pretty awful <laughs> and then just try and paint it <laughs> to make it look beautiful um, and I guess a big change along the way was actually when Photoshop uh, introduced uh, an undo function that could go beyond one <laughs> one one undo so um, yeah you're able to get some of that time back I guess what also has changed maybe a lot is that there's a lot more resources now than there, there mm. were then you know basically if you needed something then you know 20 years ago you had to just just make it <laughs> Uh, you couldn't really find resources that you would need typically or very very few anyway so you became very resourceful would be uh, one word I would use. And what, what was the timeline of your career that then led to you setting up the neighbourhood? Um, well yeah I left uni in 2000 I think yeah and I'd, I'd already had a year or so at um, Hayes Davidson before then um, yeah and uh, I guess at that point I, I always had a burning desire I didn't quite know what to do with it but a, a, a desire to do my own thing or to you know to not work for somebody um, a kind of combination of confidence and misplaced kind of arrogance I suppose <laughs> and control freakery control freakery all those all those things um, so I set up sort of freelance at, at the beginning and worked for a couple more studios that arrived on the scene I was just like working working for the, the visualization studios myself and then a few of my few people I knew had left um, Hayes Davidson um, and a few others had, had to this new startup called Smooth um, and they offered me a job in, in London uh, but I didn't want to go to London uh, I'd, I'd spent a couple of years there and I'm like no I, I fancy uh, staying up north in Manchester um, and rather than you know 
uh, well, we just came up between us. Why don't we just set up in Manchester? So we did. Uh, it was just dead straightforward. I remember driving up the um, M6 with a, a computer in my car, and that was it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I set up a studio for Smooth, and I was pretty autonomous there, really, um, and built a, a little team there. Really proud of a lot of the work that we did. Uh, still know a lot of those guys now to this day who've gone on to make other studios themselves. Um, yeah, we grew that, grew that to like 12 people. That was around 2005, 2006. Um, but I always still had this um, itch to scratch, I suppose. You know, I'd learned, I had a lot of auto autonomy and I'd learned an awful lot about what I thought was good, what I thought could be better. Um, and really just wanted to set up this place that I had in my head. Um, and I always thought of it as a place rather than a company or a business. You know, it's a creative place where sort of ideas can flourish and people can do their, their best work. Sounds quite cliched now, I suppose, but uh, that was it. That was a vision. I could sort of see it rather than, you know, spreadsheet it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's what I did. I just set up with a, a few folks who came with me from Smooth um, and just had this idea to set up a, a more kind of cross-discipline creative space, I suppose. Visualization as a core component, but just being much more open to how else we could tell stories. And in, yeah, we had a phrase for that at the outset called building worlds and telling stories, which um, uh, summed up my personal and our collective kind of enthusiasm quite well. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And so um, what first steps did you take in setting up the neighbourhood? So uh, yeah, first steps were, I guess, a little bit of planning. <laughs> you know, there was, a, was a, a, a plan to be to be hatched if you like but first step was to leave leave job <laughs> you know and to take take the plunge um me and uh, my friends john and tim and, and mother john we'd, we'd saved a few few grand each actually um and we took out a little bank loan well so little it's 25 grand which was a lot at the time and you know uh, a lot now <laughs> um but yeah just chucked everything all in together bought a few computers some software some desks I remember our chairs cost six pounds. They were from the Ikea, kind of plastic uh, chairs. And um, yeah, sort of like the essentials really. And we all committed together to saying, right, to give this a chance, we're gonna, we're gonna say we don't need any money for six months. We're all committed to working for six months at this to try and get it out of the starting blocks and mm -hmm. to make our own work, make our own space, make our own, our, our own way in the world, our own identity and not, not necessarily do kind of commercial work, but just, make stuff <laughs> yeah. i had, had a few contacts from over over the years and um but we, we pretty much did that we just got on with making stuff but then the phone rang and we started doing some real work as well and before i knew it we were basically we were we were underway um yeah so i, I was like the de facto md i suppose we all had roles uh notional roles although of course everybody's mucking and doing everything um but i was i was yeah doing um everything as, you, as you'd expect uh yeah. i've read a lot of books as you might see on uh, behind me um i've read most of them <laughs> um and i thought the answer was in a book somewhere i thought you know a lot of people have done this the answer will be there somewhere and i just remember one line in particular saying okay if you're a founder of a business you know one minute you'll be working on your you know five-year strategy or whatever the next minute you will be having a argument with a toilet roll supplier <laughs> and sort of I thought that just summed it up quite nicely and that's pretty much how it was for certainly the first few years uh, yeah. before we got a bit more scale and I could we could grow 
So how long did it take from the initial, all of you getting together, sitting on your plastic Ikea chairs, and then the business started to slowly take off a little bit more? Well, like I said, it did actually take off really quite quickly because, um, you know, we, we hadn't really taken into account that people would just want to work with us, <laughs> you know, from previous repu reputation and previous relationships, not just in the places that we'd work, but just in, in life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, when people said, you know, we've got this project, do you want to work on it? It felt really, um, you know, reckless to say no. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, actually we were quite fortunate. We were, uh, you know, within, within a couple of years, there was about eight of us, I think, and maybe 12 a year after that, you know, but it was it was quite um, considered growth, but sort of like once you press the start button, yeah. it's like you're up and running, you're off, and kind of you know strap yourself in and hold on to an extent. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So your mantra was, you know, do good, do sorry, great work, and the business will grow. So could you talk to me a bit more about how you lived through that mantra with growing the neighbourhood in the business? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think this is actually, um, you know, a really important philosophy perhaps for a lot of, not just creative companies actually, but especially creative companies. Um, and for me, that was always about the order in which you think of things, <laughs> you know, because in business, it's natural, of course, to obsess about money, you know, without it, you, you know, you don't have a business, it's sort of in the definition, isn't it? But, um, but for me, it was never that first. Um, it was always about creating this place where, where you, know, you can just do amazing work where people could do hopefully the work of their lives. And mm -hmm. I just thought if that happens, there is value in that. <laughs> if people are doing amazing work, then people will pay for it, you know, cause it will be amazing and people like amazing things and are prepared to pay for them. So, so it just became a mission really, I suppose, never really kind of a, a formalized one, but certainly a driving force. Um, so yeah, I think manifests in a couple of ways actually in, in a business as it grows. You know, the first first was really, you know, pay attention to the work first and foremost all the time, as I said. You know, as soon as you just start focusing on the numbers, that starts to really affect your decision making, I think, and your priorities. Mm -hmm. If your your priority as a creative company is to do amazing work, without that you're sort of on the way out. <laughs> um yeah. So yeah, focus on that determinedly. And that requires investing in it, investing in creating the conditions where that can happen, investing in play, <laughs> investigating in exploration and not trying to rationalize every experiment with what we might be able to sell, you know, just naturally feed off the creative energy that that creates that is quite compelling for, for clients as well as for people to join as, as team members. Um, and yeah, to, as much as you can and uh, invest in the people because <laughs> mm. it's nothing without the people and that you know that was my driving force from the start to try and build a culture rather than a, than a company and uh, I think for a while we were it was uh, amazing for most of it actually um, and I think if you do all those things to an extent and you, you obviously you've got to have some viable commercial model behind it you know, if you're doing all that and not getting any bills out the door at the right kind of rate, then it's not going to work. So you do need like a, a hard underbelly, I think might be a good way to put it. Um, but if you do all the things above and you have a sensible framework, it should just sort of wash through. So it's quite a, I'd like to think it's a relatively smart, sensible business strategy, actually. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Like any kind of business book you read or podcast you listen to, they all say just find your purpose, go at it with passion and conviction, and the money will come. And I think if you just focus on the money and the bottom line, and you're not focusing on what are you putting out there in the world, what's going to then draw money to you, then you're mm. always going to be broke, worrying about money all the time. You've got to really focus on. Totally. And you'll make decisions that are decisions about money rather than decisions about what you're actually selling and what you're trying to sell and what, what fires you up. Yeah. <laughs> and if it doesn't fire you up, you know, it's sure as hell not going to fire someone else up. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that's when people are looking for jobs as well. They look for a home, somewhere they can grow. And that's what I really enjoyed about working with you as well, Ben, uh, from the recruitment side is I, I knew that someone would go for an interview and they'd be absolutely buzzing and they'd say, oh my God, I want to work at the neighbourhood because they bought into the work and the culture and the vision and things like that. Um, and yeah, so you managed to create the neighbourhood into an award-winning industry success and and then you closed it down and mm -hmm. I'd like to get to, to that point and maybe ask you what happened there, what what was going through your mind, what was the decision behind it, etc. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean it's it's um it's a very juicy question. That's yeah. <laughs> um Look, and, and, you know, it was a 10, 11, 12 year journey, actually. Uh, yeah. And it's hard to answer in a very sort of brief uh, and do it justice. But I'll, uh, you know, definitely want to spend a little bit of time going into that. Um, I think people are always looking for like a, you know, uh, a headline, you know, oh, they must have must have fallen out, must have gone bust, must have been something, something catastrophic must have happened. Um, and I guess the if there is a headline, it's sort of like health, actually. It's about, you know health and well-being uh, um, but it's incredibly nuanced <laughs> so you know I think it's worth particularly in these times just trying to explain some of that not not for my benefit but for people to maybe think about situations in their lives because I know I've spoken to loads of people since this uh, since made this decision and found it quite quite helpful um, so you know, I could probably spend a, a you know an hour or, or a day uh, just talking about this one question. So you'll have to just shut me up if I if I ramble on. Um, but I think you know I just want to get to like a couple of key things that really went into that. You know, um, and to start with, just this whole idea of like leading and starting something is actually hard. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's very glamorized this kind of leadership. You know, founder. Da -da. Um, but it's it's tough. If you certainly if you want to do something with with impact and meaning, which um, I certainly did. And you're learning everything on the job. Um, of course, books and advisors can prime and help you. And I've had my share of those, as you can see. Uh, but there aren't actually really any shortcuts. You have to feel it yourself. You have to mess a few things up. Um, but it, there's a lot, lot of self-doubt on that journey, a lot of, lot of personal challenge, as well as just, you know, the pragmatics of a, of a business. Um, but I guess in, in the business, you know, there was you know a lot of ups and downs roller coaster we were like four people at one point we were over 40 people at another point and then we were two people right at the end so you know quite a roller coaster big dipper but during that journey things change in life as well don't they things change you know i'd become a dad um i've got older <laughs> um and just built my level of self-understanding and my un understanding more deeply my, my purpose i suppose you know and that, that changes that can change over time um 
and the business itself was a roller coaster, as I say. And uh, the thing about roller coasters when you're on them for a long time, you start to feel sick. <laughs> mm. And that's quite a good uh, analogy, I think. And the machinery, if you like, of trying to run a business versus this wonderful sort of creative shop really started to uh, hurt, actually, I guess, um, personally. Um, and there were, there were a couple of things, you know, in, in the latter years, you know, we, we, we'd set, set aside, set, set about, you know, fulfilling a vision on a couple, couple of different ways. Um, and we had a lot of growing pains, you know, a lot along the way. There was a particular phase where, you know, I, I was very clear or I thought I was clear about a vision, uh, but it turned out maybe I wasn't or I wasn't, I wasn't believing it myself. Um, and we had a lot of challenges with, you know, bringing new people in and, the place, the vibe changing and a few good people left and it was just all really choppy. And we sort of had the ingredients, I would say, but we didn't have the quite, quite the right recipe in those kind of last, last few years in particular. And that just led to what I would describe as a lot of bruises for me personally. Um, uh, you know, you take all that personally when it's, when it's the thing that you're trying to lead or, or co-lead. Um, I had a lot of bruises. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, you know, I, to an extent, I sort of lost my purpose. I'd lost my, my mojo a bit. Uh, um, and, yeah, it was, it was definitely harder to get it to work. It's sort of counterintuitive, but it, it, you, just, you sort of feel as you grow, you can do more things. But in some ways, it sort of felt that things were, we could do fewer things. And the work was getting less good. We were getting less focused. <laughs> Um, and I just had this nagging feeling, I guess, underlying all things when I started to probe into it, that we'd sort of, we'd had our time in the spotlight sort of thing. We'd done our best work and mm. that it was maybe behind us, not ahead of us. And that was a really hard thing to sort of question in your own mind. Um, and notwithstanding, you know, I was a pretty new dad and all that comes with that. And I was absolutely exhausted physically, mentally jaded and you can't lead when you're in that position actually so um yeah just had to ask myself those really difficult questions is this is this is this what i want anymore and you never really ask the questions about yourself i think as a leader a lot of the time it's always about everybody else yeah. you know it's about it's about the team it's about the next thing for them um and for us very rarely kind of look inwards a little bit more so i did a lot of a lot of that and um yeah just came to a point with um you know, John, my, my business partner, still really good friends now. Um, you know, I sort of opened a door to a conversation to say, I'm, I'm just really spent. Um, I think I need to make a change. How, how are you feeling? Yeah. <laughs> and it turned out that, yeah, he was in not too dissimilar a spot, actually. Um, so, yeah, that was quite a profound moment where we just said, maybe, maybe we need to make a, make a change. And it just turned out through some really quick, deep, soul searching that the most authentic graceful thing to do was to close rather than to you know it's not really a scenario you hear about much in business people usually kind of build and sell or go spectacularly bust or you know but to just go you know no, we're just going to try and gently stop but of course that decision affected everybody else there was over 25 people i think in the team at that time so um but you know, it was like the f first truly selfish decision that I think I've made in, you know, 10, 10 years or more. Uh, and I knew that I couldn't, I couldn't lead it into the phase that it needed to go into any longer. 
so I, I needed to change and stop and the, the best thing to do was to to stop so it was a, it was a horrible difficult challenging decision no, and it's horrible that it's binary it ends up being like a yes or no you can't have like an in-between yeah. or in between is the route to a bit more pain actually so uh, but I, i'm so so proud of what we what we did there um we you know had such a great set of people who you know continue i continue to be told that it was the best place people have worked just last week someone else told me again <laughs> it was just and you know lots of lots of friendships and, and other great things that have now come out of that that whole team and i've learned so much about not just business but about myself and uh if i can take that now into the world next maybe this was you know i started thinking of the neighborhood as my life's mission but I ended up thinking well maybe that was chapter one <laughs> you know yeah, definitely yeah. And, I, and what you achieved with the neighborhood was incredible and i remember i heard about you guys for years before i even worked with you and i was just astonished by the kind of talent and the creatives that you did nurture and, and that you built and even like junior level visualizers or middleweights and the, the quality of the work that they were producing all under your leadership and you create this business and this vision but also you're a human and if it's not quite working for you anymore in the way that it was it, there's something quite you know brave about saying okay line under the sand we've achieved what we wanted to let's end this chapter as you say and then start a new one because you're still very much involved in the industry and and I used to like mentor and you're a business consultant to other studios etc so mm -hmm. my next set of questions Ben is more just advice now for, yeah, for yeah. Okay. so um whenever you were hiring for people for the neighborhood what key things do you look for in, in a visualizer to, to take them on? Um, well, I think, you know, for, first and foremost, uh, I think, again, it's something people say a lot these days, but it's like you hire the person, not the role, <laughs> or yeah. hire the person, not the skills. You know, we always thought that the four of us together at the outset, we're like, we can teach skills. You know, you can't mm. teach the outlook <laughs> or the mindset, the person. Um, so we would just look for absolute, like, just enthusiasm, people who uh, want to plus things not minus things you know they just like latch onto things and plus them uh that maybe they've got um they think of it differently you know in some way then you know they don't fit <laughs> the mold necessarily um and they're prepared to just try things and do things and experiment um yeah so those are the you know i guess within that is sort of like questioning actually questioning and curiosity are just the the root of all creativity i think at the end of the day so it's also so much about what questions people are, are, are harboring which uh, you know fuels that curiosity and that enthusiasm to have burning questions all the time yes. so yeah it's less about you know of course we're looking for you know someone who's got a, a, a certain set of visual uh, apparatus i suppose you know a sense of light and shadow and composition and you know but like i say those things can develop we're just always just looking for the the spark and the, the human uh, mm. as much as the the function and the role okay so that's quite interesting so the skills would need to be there obviously but then it was the potential actually and the plus yeah. how they could grow and develop and that is quite important with a within a business it's the energy that someone's going to bring as well mm. and enthusiasm mm. um and that can represent in loads of different ways right it's not um 
that doesn't mean everyone has to be like jumping on the table, banging the drum, shouting enthusiastically, you know, that can come across incredibly quietly and thoughtfully. And, yeah. you know, so it's, it's like, but spending time to just try and understand the person and what fires them up mm-hmm. so that you can understand if you can help each other <laughs> and it's going to be a mutual opportunity for growth, not just, uh, as I say, just like a function or a role. And what type of portfolios do you like to see? Websites or PDFs or do you have a preference? Um, no. <laughs> what, what, I, what I like to see most of all is, is sort of something different, actually. I know, you know, people might say, oh, we need a PDF and uh, no more than three megabytes or, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. um, but I, I like to see people who sort of ignore those rules or, or do that and then do something else as well but show, show something of you. Don't just show what you think you should show, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, I got a little, you know, certainly get a bit tired of seeing PDFs with essentially the same kind of imaging all the time, for example, with a, a CGI artist mm-hmm. and no sense of who's this person, what fires them up? Mm-hmm. What do they do in their spare time when they're not trying to learn these tools? What do they, yeah. Who's, who's the person and what ideas have they got? What's, what, itches are they scratching (laughs) you know so show me the show me the human as well as and if if that can happen in a pdf then great but it might happen better in a i don't know uh a voice message or a (laughs) you know a painting i don't know (laughs) definitely so rather so one bit of portfolio advice would be not to have the same image throughout maybe have some kind of variety something that injects a bit more yeah, I would, I would say don't just, don't, like I say, don't just do what people expect you to, to do. Mm. Um, uh, what you think the industry wants from you. Um, people at the end of the day want great people who've got great ideas and can, you know, want to go further. And you, you have to sort of put yourself out there a little bit to show some of that and be vulnerable. <laughs> you know, so it's like show something that is a really scrappy idea that it looks awful, but it's like, uh, you know, it's something you're trying to do. It's a pursuit. Um, yeah, and, and don't, I'd also say sort of like don't wait to be asked. Don't wait for like a, a company to be advertising if you want to go and work there or we hardly ever advertised actually. Uh, we mostly took on people who just sent something really compelling through that meant that I had to get in touch. Quite often we weren't even looking. <laughs> but you spot someone who's just like got so much about them that you're like, you need to you need to come and work here we need to work together <laughs> yeah definitely i think that that can be quite common actually if, if you come across someone that is incredibly interesting that's approached you it's always a good sign because it shows that they're interested in your company and they mm. want to work for you um and i guess with certain businesses of the size you can accommodate a new hire if someone's exceptional and you don't want to miss out on. Yeah, I, th- I think most businesses can if they're if they're honest. It, it depends on your culture, you know. But if you know the costs aren't particularly high in the grand scheme of things, to take a chance on somebody for a little while, see if it works out. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> and what advice would you give to any junior visualizers out there that are just starting to enter the industry? Um, well, I think maybe building on that last point, actually, try and get get in somewhere. And you might have to make some sort of sacrifices to do that, if you like. Uh, Recognise that there aren't, you know, if you're just starting out, there aren't that many shortcuts, actually. Not, I know the 
in this age we're often obsessed with hacks or shortcuts you know you have to to build this you know build the skills build the outlook build the opinion build your point of view out um and i guess you know when i when i left university for example i left it and came out straight out into a recession there were hardly any jobs and uh, i managed to get a job thankfully um but i spent all my spare time just working away at what what i thought about all this stuff and plowing it into my own kind of work uh, and then it was those things actually a year or so later as the recession started to you know op more opportunities started to arise it was those things that i'd been doing that got me into other places mm. um so yeah just like i say focus on um yeah trying to trying to forge your own path forge your own opinion and put yourself in the in a place to do that sometimes you need to be a bit bullshit actually i remember um there's <laughs> a great guy i'm sure he won't mind me saying but you know early days at the neighborhood um had a phone call um from this guy Stu, who was um it was basically, he's, he said, just picked up the phone, heard this voice going, um, uh, yeah, hi, is that Ben? Yeah, I'm outside. Can I come and show you my work? And I was like, oh, um, a bit taken aback. I'm like, um, I'm just a bit busy at the moment. He's like, no, I really need to show you my work. Um, I, I want you to see it. And I was like, what? Um, okay, <laughs> come on up. And he came in and he showed me just, you know, he was really kind of early days in his work. He showed me this beautiful little thing that he'd laboured over at home been crafting of a, a building in Manchester exploding into a flock of birds and flying away. And then more than that, though, I was enchanted by that, but I was enchanted by his attitude. Mm. And this just kind of, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to work here. I'll do whatever, whatever you want me to. Can I just come here? And, you know, by the end of the afternoon, I was just like turning around to everybody going, we've, we've, we've found our next, uh, one of our first team hires actually. Um, wow. It just, you know, so, don't be afraid, like I say, that's a, a bit of a recurring theme there, isn't it? To put yourself out there and put your style, your your mark out there. But that doesn't have to be, as I say, sort of extroverted. That can be really thoughtful and considered as well. Mm. Um, yeah. I think a lot of it is like grit and resilience. And um, I know when I first started out in recruitment, it wasn't long after the recession and it was real hard work. But mm. I, I remember working like the longest hours and push, 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 pushing. And then after a while, the bad times do ease off a little bit and then things do start to improve. So mm. that's a key message for, for juniors is just. Yeah, I guess. Put yourself out there. and Yeah. And another part of that, actually, if you're think, think, thinking about juniors is, um, again, don't just follow the same people that everybody else is following it's particularly easy now you know in the world of instagram and 24 hour you know on tap image feeds you know not you, you can end up in the same sort of echo chamber i yeah. think where truly unique work comes is when you take things from completely other otherworldly places other industries other influences other ideas and you you latch onto them and you bring them into into this one or into a different one and you you just start messing around. That's where kind of, for me, look, looking out and bringing, bringing things in um, can be a huge sort of um, way of standing out if, you're, if you are starting out. Mm. And, and is there any advice that you wish someone had given you um, earlier on in your career? Any kind of 
pearls of wisdom you'd like to pass on? Uh, um, <laughs> no, really. <laughs> um, no, I think just trust your um, trust yourself. <laughs> yeah. Don't feel oh, there's a theme building here, isn't there? But um, um, and don't let sort of high standards get in the way. The industry is very much about creating perfection a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect and it won't be quite a lot of the time. So, you know, just be really open and collaborative and, and never stop learning, you know, always be open. Never think you know it all because you sure as hell don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And so um, how are you finding lockdown at the moment and what's the effect that you've seen that it's had on the industry currently? Um, well, certainly the companies that I know about and the ones that I work with, you know, there's, there's been, um, you know, a, a sort of dramatic pause, if you like, you know, and a, um, some of that self-induced, just like kind of uh, an oh fuck moment, what the, you know, is, uh, is everything about to stop? Um, yeah, but I think broadly speaking, there's, it seems that a lot of the, the world has been on a bit of a pause briefly and now a lot of people are kind of going, well, we can't just sit in pause forever. Let's, um, let's make some quick decisions and move on. Keep, keep moving, keep going. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. It's going to, you know, it's going to be a really, really bumpy period of time. Absolutely no doubt. And there's going to be some really challenging times for everybody in every industry. Um, um, but yeah, I think, uh, like, you know, I've worked through a couple of recessions now, so I'm quite sort of, albeit this one's a completely different, um, I'm assuming we are going into recession, um, but, you know, this one is a completely different animal again. But there's no doubt that doing things of worth that are great quality that people need, you know, has a market, might be a slightly smaller market in the short term, but it will grow and flourish again. And if you can take this time to reflect a little bit use it as an opportunity to regroup if you can you know if your circumstances allow then yeah i'd really encourage that um yeah i think if anyone can upskill experiment with different technology and do a bit of research in different ways of working etc to then re-enter back into the industry with a fresh set of eyes might be quite helpful mm. as well mm. um and i know that i've been told by a couple of accountants it's been like a sharp drop but it's going to be a, a sharp kind of bounce back as well. Do you think that might be the case in this instance? And it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because the pause mm. market <laughs> but we don't know what sort of recession we might be entering, but we do know we'll be entering a sort of recession. I don't know. And it, it's really, it's so hard to be uh, in any way generalised about it because I think the reality is the circumstances are so different on every individual, every company basis of, who their clients are, who they work with. Um, so many factors make a very individual picture. Um, so, you know, that there will obviously just be a, a, a shrinking, a contraction of, of sorts. Um, but as you say, there will be, um, we will, and are starting to come out of this, I would say, already in one form or another. And that has is also bringing some huge positives, people realising whole sways of an industry are now opening up that people didn't really think were there was there <laughs> and if you if you're working on a certain i don't know technology platform suddenly that's booming like take the platform we're talking on at the moment you know yeah. most of the world hadn't heard of zoom you know three months ago and here they are and it's it's um everybody's using it 
and the same goes in out i guess the point i'm clumsily trying to make is that out of uh there's always a there is always an upside you sometimes just have to look really hard for it mm. Yeah, I know Zoom, I heard of a situation where they'd done a system update because obviously they'd been overloaded on the network and they all went to sleep in California or wherever and then there were people in London trying to run all their Zoom calls and they couldn't log in. So that was one glitch right. that, with that rapid development of current times, isn't it? And trying to... Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think, you know, as I, was, I think a lot of, hopefully, a lot of people are basically just being a bit more forgiving with with the world right now and being more i don't know just more human and more understanding more flexible <laughs> more empathic you know all these sorts of qualities that maybe historically haven't come into business speak too much you know are are, are coming in a bit more now yeah definitely mm. and do you have any predictions of what the future of visualization is going to look like in our post lockdown well because i don't want to say covid19 because it looks like we're going to be living with this actually for, for quite a while it's, but post lockdown what do you think the industry will be like um i don't know is probably a good answer <laughs> an honest one i think clearly there's lo loads of opportunities right now in just circumstantial if you like people can't move around so freely so sales fleets and things like that uh, a lot of people who work for those kind of environments you know that has to change and evolve quite quickly technology platforms where people can interrogate environments and see beautiful work and that being very easy and uh, graceful to do <coughs> will be you know is already a big thing I think will, will become bigger mm -hmm. um, but I think for me you know coming back to some earlier themes really it's like coming back to what actually is this art form it's like a storytelling art form and going back to the power of telling stories and thinking about it that way around. <coughs> How do I tell better stories in this new environment versus the old way? <laughs> yeah. That might unlock some of where it's going a little bit more rather than just kind of going, you know, what's the technology, what's the platform, what's next? Good stories always, you know, uh, carry, <laughs> I think. Yeah, it'd be quite interesting to see, as you say, what sort of visuals people are creating considering the storytelling of this new post-lockdown world. Because I know that like, um, things like wayfinding and signage systems are going to be changing because the whole navigation of humans in buildings and spaces. And I know like WeWork, et cetera, are looking at like death spacing and stuff like that. So um, what do you think visualizers can do at the moment at this time obviously upskilling with different software but as you said looking into the storytelling etc yeah i mean i think um if you can and look i appreciate uh, as much as anybody that you know everyone's got their own challenges whether it's around homeschooling <laughs> or uh, as i'm trying to do at the moment uh, uh or very urgent need to earn money and all the rest of it um it gives a real opportunity to just sort of ask those difficult questions of yourself i think what what is it that appeals about this and look for, about this work about this space because that's where you know coming back to some of the reasons i set up the neighborhood with with john and john and tim was it's like it's from the heart not from it's not like worked out in your head <laughs> it's like you feel it mm -hmm. so sort of follow your follow your gut feeling and trust that a, a bit more and, and i think there are one thing that definitely is true with the industry now is it, it's obviously huge now compared to uh, and continues to be is that there is 
there is an opportunity, however sort of niche, if you like, your your style or your outlook or the type of people you want to work with or the type of project you want to do, there is a niche available or a niche of a niche to do that and to either do it on your own or even build a whole business around um, around that niche. You, know, you see quite a few successful studios now doing just that around an attitude or a style. So, um, you know, come, come back to those kind of first principles really and think about, uh, yeah, what you love, why you love it. Mm. I think there's, there's been some debate about how visualization studios in some instances might be able to cut the architects out of the whole process of creating buildings and environments. What are your thoughts on that? Cut the architects out. <laughs> mm, tricky one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, obviously having been through seven years of university and then still knowing that I'm, I'm not even a junior architect, you know, there is an awful lot of skill that goes into that role that a lot of people don't really fully appreciate you know it's 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 um and i think the visualizer if you like can just be a it's not about replacing it's not about either or it's about how they you know collaborate how they work together sometimes about how they are the same person or the same team mm -hmm. but certainly how you can become like the left and right hand sometimes i think where it's worked where i've seen great project success in, in times over the years is when you know you almost become like the yeah the paintbrush for the architect's brain and actually in that space something gets plussed some new things come up <laughs> that wouldn't have happened from a straight kind of draw this for me kind of metaphor and mm. uh, so i think it's much more about how you can work together and build on each other's unique capabilities rather than either or yeah and so my last question Ben. So i want to allow for a bit of time for, for people to ask questions in the little q a box um so what have you taken from this pandemic and being in lockdown that you'll be um taking into the new world that we're this new world people keep saying that we'll be creating after this yeah i don't know i think i've, I've probably already touched on a few of these themes but you know just a huge opportunity that maybe there's been had to be such a radical shift in everybody's outlook you know no one would have done this by design but in some ways maybe it gives a lot of people a, a spark to change things that aren't right whether it's in their lives or in their work um, and so to you know not go into some huge navel gazing exercise although that opportunity does exist but to truly come back to what is important what is actually important and obviously with my journey through the neighborhood that I was going through earlier, you know, I, I hit quite a few of those questions a few years ago, actually. So I'm a bit sort of, um, not blase, but I'm sort of built up a lot of resilience <laughs> to, uh, uh, I'm not saying I was ready for this at all, certainly wasn't. And I've been enormously anxious like everybody and continue to be. Um, but I'm also really optimistic, Yeah. you know, that a lot of good comes out of, comes out of this. Um, Okay. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good answer. I, I definitely, what I have definitely learnt is that, um, yeah, six weeks is the maximum recommended time between haircuts for me, <laughs> and I'm I'm into like week ten now or something. So, um, yeah. yeah, I'm almost at like hat. I feel like doing these and like wearing a hat, but I'm just kind of going with it because everyone's going through hair things. We'll, we'll look back on these videos and uh, have a good old laugh. 
<laughs> so right thank you so much ben for answering all those questions and you made some really really good points there um so i'm just going to move on to the q and a section here so um what's your favorite type of cgi vr ar animation or just a traditional still hmm. i don't gosh i'm a bit non-committal about some of these answers aren't i i don't i don't have a favorite because i think it's always about what's the right it's all like what's the right tool for for the job <laughs> and if the job is to tell a story it's about what's the story um and if the story is about I don't know about a very clear story about um yeah a story that is already written that you're trying to tell maybe like an, an a to b kind of piece of film would do that if it's um you know a story that you want other people to write or to get involved in then maybe it's something more interactive or immersive where people can manipulate things and create the story themselves so i'm sort of sidestepping the question slightly because it's it is for me totally about what's the not choosing the tool before you know what you're trying to do with it. <laughs> so yeah. it's always contextual to that really. And the answer being in like the problem, if you like, the answer is always in the problem, in the question, in the brief. Okay. Um, next question is, what are your strategies for client management, mission creep, change control, etc.? Yeah. Okay. Strategies for client management. I think first and foremost um, is get off to a good start. <laughs> you know, you don't don't just focus ninety percent of your of your energy on selling, <laughs> you know, to the client and then disappear <laughs> or go into a different uh, way of working. You've got to put out there exactly what the experience is going to be like and wear your heart on your sleeve and treat it like a collaboration build a relationship that is the first and foremost um uh, thing to say about any client client relationship is is that our word it's a relationship and there will be ups and downs they'll be being pulled probably themselves in lots of different directions as as you will in trying to navigate what they what they want or what they need um and if you've got a good open conversation where it's not just about timelines and deliverables and you know it's about what's this for what's the bigger what's the bigger prize how and getting on board with that so your your clients goals become your goals yeah um that just creates a much richer environment and then when you do hit some sticky patches or you're i don't know you're a bit late or there's some bad news or it just creates a, a better place for those to uh, go into yeah but it's, it's really hard you know i would say don't one thing i would say maybe as well though is don't try and over systemize it or do it do you know have documents and documents and documents and platforms coming out of your ears you know your clients probably haven't really got time to look at all those things mm. you know so just a human here's where we are here's where we'd like to be here's where we're going next here's what i need you know just really simple make it simple yeah okay um, so next question is, how do you think RX, VR, AR industry will develop in the creative industries in the future? Yeah, um, I don't know. I think we're, it's interesting with, you know, platforms, if you like. I mean, we went through a, um, 
you think of the RNAR and um, yeah, as, as platforms, you know, new new mediums, really new uh, new ways of telling stories. Um, storytelling media have evolved over well a century or more now, you know, uh, and so I think there is clearly an opportunity there to be by definition, much more immersive, but to recognize that it's still a human being in this technologically created environment. And you need to appeal to the human senses, not just appeal to the, you know, not, not for it to just look real, for example, or to be convincing, but to move you in other ways. Because although it's in, say, use VR as an example, you, you it's mainly a, a sight you know sight is your main sense you know don't forget the other senses <laughs> that form a human experience and i think those are the things those are often the barriers to um, a platform being properly adopted i think and certainly seen that with vr a lot of the stuff in the way it still feels really strange so mm. a lot of people to put something on your face <laughs> it's an incredibly vulnerable position to be in so um it's like how you work with the the human side and, and that comes into story as well again you know how you draw people into that world yeah. uh, and immerse them in it in, in a holistic sense so last question here for you ben is um so with the decompression of rendering with software like corona lumion to emotion etc do you think the key skills studios will look out for an artist will be the eye of lighting, composition and colour, the things that you feel and are inside you as opposed to things that can be taught or learned in a tutorial, almost like the old masters of painting. Well, I think, you know, because at the end of the day, most of what we're talking about is a very, as I was saying earlier, really a very technically based art form. Mm. It's very hard to be the master of all those things. You know, it's rare, a rare combination to be you know, I guess what you might call a visionary, like creative artist at one end and an incredibly, you know, technically fluent, um, technically driven person at the other end. You know, it's not, it's not impossible, but it's, that's quite a, quite a stretch. Um, so I would say, you know, certainly with regards to studios and teams, maybe having you know, it's, to use an old, an old metaphor, it's about having like T-shaped people. So people who understand the importance of each of those things, but are an absolute expert in one of them. So, you know, if you're brilliant at, you know, the vision or the eye or the feeling, then just go all in on that and recognize that you can form a brilliant partner for someone who's, you know, wonderful at making that happen by programming this, you know, the ones and zeros on a render dialogue box to get the thing that you're after. Um, so, yeah, I think um, uh, working, working together and complementing, using complementary skills rather than maybe trying to be the jack of all trades and jack of all parts of the, the artist, if you like, can be maybe a helpful framework as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, Okay, well, I think I'll, I'll wrap the session up. But again, thanks a lot, Ben. And thank you everyone that's joined us today as well. I hope you got a lot out of it. I know I did. Um, if you enjoyed this at all and you'd like to share any information, please do. I'm just gonna send a link now to uh, Instagram and Twitter. So 
feel free to tag us in social media so we can share it and, and spread the word about these talks and also add uh, Ben as well on LinkedIn. Is there anything else you want to add, Ben? No, not at all. Just that really. Just, yeah, if anybody, you know, wants to me to expand or, uh, or otherwise or is just confused about anything I've said, um, yeah, just give me a shout anytime. Okay, awesome. All right. Well, thanks. Cool. Take care. I'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye, everybody. Cheers. Bye.